Well, my name is Blake. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Bible Church. I have the privilege over the course of the next month to share with you a series I put together and taught at Southwood and Creekside this spring on the issue of mental health and how it affects us as followers of Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to share that with you over the course of this month throughout July. I, as I thought about this series and how to put it together this spring, there was a question that, that really kind of captivated me and that brought about this series. And that question is, what do each of us need above all else to make it through the hardships and struggles of this life? And you can probably guess the answer. One word, hope. If we're going to make it through the darkest times of life, we've got to have hope. And, and we need to talk about that because we live in a world, in, in particular a society, where you look around and you see all of these people living hopeless lives. They, they don't know where to, to find hope. They are desperate for hope. Now, if you're here this morning and you feel hopeful, I'm so glad for you. God bless you. That's wonderful. But you need to know that statistically speaking, you are in the tiny, tiny minority in this country. The vast majority of people around us are living hopeless lives. We in modern day America are overworked, overweight, and overwhelmed. We are short on time, short on money, short on friends. We're addicted to social media and cheap money and we try to show online these lives that are all together, that are all right, but we know better. We know that in reality, we're stumbling around in the dark, desperate for things to get better. And so over the course of the next few weeks, I want to talk to you about where do you find hope in the struggles and strains of life. And so this morning, we're going to talk about how we find hope in the midst of loneliness and loss. Then next week, we'll talk about how to find hope in the midst of depression, and I'll share my own story with you. Then I have to go back to Southwood for a couple weeks. Brian will be here. After those two weeks, I'll come back, and I'll share with you how to find hope in the midst of anxiety, and I'll share my wife's story with you. And then finally, I'll talk to you about how to find hope in the midst of addiction. So that's where we're headed over the next few weeks. We're going to talk about how we find this thing called hope. And we're going to start with finding hope in the midst of our loneliness. Now, if we're going to talk about this thing called loneliness, we have to clarify for a moment that loneliness is not the same thing as being alone. Actually, it can be very good for you to be alone. You need time alone, whether to sleep or think or read or just use the restroom. You got to have alone time. And the amount of alone time you need will depend on your personality. So if you open your dictionary and you look up the word introvert, you will find a picture of me because I am an extreme introvert. I find rest in being alone. That's what I need to be recharged. So very practically speaking, When you go to have lunch at 40 Tempura and you see me eating alone and you think to yourself, oh, my poor pastor, I should go talk to him and keep him company. I want you to know that I am fine. I am actually great. It's probably a day where I had a lot of meetings and I need to be alone for a little while before I have to go back to work. I'm recharged by that alone time. Now, you extroverts in the room, you cannot imagine the thought of going out to a restaurant to eat alone. But you need alone time too. Maybe less than me, but you got to have that alone time. My wife 
can chat with people all day long. She never seems to run out of energy, but even she must have time alone or, or it will become unhealthy for her. You see that even in Jesus, who he's God. So he had infinite social energy and yet every day he took time to go out in the wilderness and be alone and pray. Because God created us to need some amount of alone time each day. And, and let me just say, if you are unable to feel comfortable being alone with yourself, that's actually probably a sign that something's not right. You, you need to talk to a counselor or a pastor about that if you're just never comfortable being alone. Because God designed you to need some of that alone time. So being alone is not a bad thing, but it is different than loneliness. You can feel lonely even when you're not alone. You can feel lonely at an Aggie football game. Surrounded by a hundred thousand other screaming fans, you will feel lonely if you feel disconnected from them. If you feel uncared for by any of those people, you will feel lonely even though you're not alone. So here's a definition of what loneliness is. I like this definition from counselor and author Les Carter. He says, loneliness is a feeling of separation, isolation, or distance in human relationships. Loneliness implies emotional pain, an empty feeling, and a yearning to feel understood and accepted by someone. Even if that someone is in the room with you, you feel a sense of distance from them. That leads to loneliness. So when we think about this thing called loneliness, for most of us, this is not a fun topic to address. I mean, even the word lonely sounds sad. I don't know what that word conjures in your mind. But for me, when I hear the word lonely, the image that comes to my mind is the cafeteria in junior high and me holding a tray of meatloaf, desperate for anyone to make eye contact with me and invite them me to sit at their table. Yes, I'm an introvert, but it hurt when no one wanted to be my friend. It, it felt like I was a loser. I felt completely alone in the world. If you feel lonely, though, I have very good news for you. You are actually not alone. Now, you may feel alone, but you are not alone in feeling alone. It's incredibly common. A 2016 Harris Poll of Americans found that three quarters of us experience loneliness over 40% of us on a regular basis. Loneliness is a constant companion for us. And, and for a lot of people, you assume, well, that must be like teenagers and single adults dealing with loneliness. No, actually, researchers found that profound loneliness is experienced by both men and women at all stages of life, from childhood to the elderly and all groups, including those who are married. So those of you who aren't yet married, just know marriage is not an absolute solution to loneliness. You can be lonely in the midst of a marriage, too. It affects an incredible number of us. Now, what's fascinating is you look at those numbers. So they did this exact same survey back in the 1980s in America. And when they did it in the 1980s, the percentage of Americans who regularly struggled with loneliness was less than 20%. So here we are in the modern world with our cell phones, text messages, Facebook, FaceTime, all of these ways to connect with one another digitally. And the amount of loneliness has more than doubled. In fact, back in 1985, they asked Americans how many close friends they had, and the most common answer was three. They asked the same question in 2004, and the most common answer was zero. That has led researchers to conclude that there is a crisis, an epidemic 
of loneliness in America today. It touches all of us. Now, that's enough for statistics. We're in church. Let's talk about the Bible. So in the Bible, do we see people struggling with profound loneliness? Well, yes, right from the very beginning. First guy, Adam. He dealt with profound loneliness. If, if you remember the story, so God creates everything and he renders a verdict. He said, all of this creation is very good with one exception. What? That Adam was lonely. And so God brings all animal life to Adam to see if any of it would take away his loneliness. None of it does. He needed human interaction to drive away that loneliness. Loneliness is not good, God says. At the end of the book of Genesis, Joseph, he's, he is uh, sold into slavery by his brothers. He ends up down in Egypt in a prison, completely alone and forgotten by the world. Guy struggled with incredible loneliness. You look at, at a little bit later in scripture, Naomi in the book of Ruth, her, her husband and sons die. And she is so overcome with loss and loneliness. You know what she does? She renames herself. From Naomi, she, she chooses the Hebrew word Mara to be her name. In Hebrew, that literally is the word bitter. So can you imagine introducing yourself? Hello, I am bitter. It's like such a Debbie Downer. It's a horrible thing. Why? Because she's just crushed by loneliness. Look at Jeremiah, one of the great prophets of the Old Testament. He prophesied during a particularly dark time of Israel's history. And, and because of the nature of his ministry, God said to him, Jeremiah, do not get married. Do not have kids and do not have any close friends. And so Jeremiah's entire life was one of profound loneliness. It crushed him to the extent that during his life, he began to wish he was dead. He didn't want to live anymore. He wanted God to make it so he was never born. He was so overcome by loneliness. Look at the New Testament, Paul. The great apostle Paul, towards the end of his life, he tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 4 that when he was standing trial in Rome, no one supported me. Everyone deserted me. He's left completely alone at the end of his life. And if this hasn't convinced you that loneliness is common throughout scripture, what about Jesus? When Jesus was arrested, how many of his friends and followers stood with him? Zero. When he hung on the cross, do you remember what he said? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So you think you know loneliness. You have never been forsaken by God. But Jesus was. He knows and has experienced loneliness more profound than anything we could possibly imagine. Loneliness is a common and inescapable part of human life. It's going to touch all of our lives. Either you have been lonely or you will be lonely or you love someone who is in the midst of that crisis now. Loneliness is incredibly common and here's why that matters. Here's why loneliness is important to talk about. A 2016 New York Times article concluded individuals with less social connection have disrupted sleep patterns, altered immune systems, more inflammation and higher levels of stress hormones. Isolation increases the risk of heart disease by 29% and stroke by 32%. Socially isolated individuals had a 30% higher risk of dying in the next seven years. And this effect was largest in middle age. Here it is in a little more graphic terms, a little more graphic research. Social isolation is as potent a cause of early death as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Loneliness is twice as deadly as obesity. Dementia, high blood pressure, alcoholism, accidents, depression, paranoia, anxiety, and suicide become more prevalent when connections are cut. 
A 2015 study found that currently the single biggest health threat facing middle-aged men like me in our country is loneliness. Loneliness is literally killing us. And so we need to know what to do about it. How do you find hope in the midst of loneliness? And how do you help others who are struggling with loneliness find hope? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. But to get there, first, we have to define that word. You have to know what something is before you can find it. So what is hope? Well, it's interesting. The word is different in English and in the Bible, in Greek and in Hebrew. So when we think about hope, what do we mean in English? Well, the English word hope is a desire for something good but uncertain to happen in the future. It's basically a wish. Hope in English is a wish for your circumstances to change. So maybe you are lonely because you are single, and so you hope that you will get married one day. Well, that's great. That's fine to have that kind of hope, but it's insufficient. Why? Because God never promised you a spouse. And so if that's the only hope that you have, it's guaranteed to disappoint you. Hope based on circumstances is good but insufficient to get us through the hard times of life. We need a better form of hope. We need biblical hope. So the word hope, both in Hebrew and Greek, means something different. It's confidence that you will be okay because God will take care of you. Hope in the Bible, when you see that word, it's not about a wish, it's about security. It's about assurance that God will be faithful to you and as a result you can make it through whatever comes to you in this life. So how do we find this kind of biblical hope, this assurance that it's going to be okay when we are overcome by feelings of loneliness? I'm going to give you four steps. So four biblical steps for finding hope in the midst of loneliness and loss. Step number one, you've got to admit it and grieve it. So I was studying this subject. I came across a problem. A lot of researchers talked about, a lot of doctors talked about. Researchers are finding that loneliness is an especially tricky problem for us because accepting and declaring our loneliness carries profound stigma. Admitting we're lonely can feel like we're admitting we have failed in life's most fundamental domains. Belonging, love, attachment. It attacks our basic instinct to save face and makes it hard to ask for help. Admitting that you're lonely feels very much like admitting that you're a loser. Psychiatry has worked hard to destigmatize things like depression and to a large part it has been successful. People are comfortable now saying that they're depressed, but they're not comfortable saying they're lonely because then you are the kid sitting alone in the cafeteria. We have such a hard time admitting to one another that we're feeling lonely, even though we know statistically at least half of us are any given day. This is especially true for us men. Even though we know that loneliness, it is the leading cause of death for us, we don't want to admit it to one another because it feels like a sign or admission of weakness. And yet compare that to what you see in Scripture. Take a really strong man in Scripture like David. King David, incredible warrior, incredible leader of the nation of Israel. He wants you to know that he dealt with loneliness. And here's what he said when he did. Psalm 25, 16, David says, Turn to me, speaking to God, and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. So notice, David admitted to God, I am lonely, and then he wrote it down so that we would all know. I mean, talk about admitting your weakness. David tells the entire world forever that he was lonely. 
So this incredibly strong man, this great warrior, he did not hide his loneliness in shame or embarrassment. He brought it out into the light to to confess it to God and to all of his countrymen and all of us. Hey, I'm lonely and I need help. You must be willing to do that. It's not just David. You see it in Elijah, in Jeremiah, in Paul, even in Jesus. A willingness to humbly say, "I, I am incredibly lonely. That is not a sign of weakness. That is a sign of confidence and strength. God wants you to admit it to others. He also wants you to grieve it. God wants you to to confess to him and to other people that, that you're lonely and you hate it. It's okay to tell God that you hate some circumstance in your life like loneliness. Why? Because God hates it too. How do we know that? Because when Adam was lonely, God said, this is not good. God hates it too. God did not design you to be lonely. He created you to live in community with other people and experience the joy of genuine relationships. And so when you feel lonely, step number one is you got to bring that loneliness out into the light. Bring it to God. Say, God, I am lonely and I hate it. Bring it to other people, the people around you. Talk to a spouse, to a friend, to a parent, to a sibling, to a roommate, to a coworker, to a pastor, to a counselor. Tell someone that you're struggling with loneliness and, and you need help, you need prayer, you need guidance. And if your loneliness is, is for an acute reason, perhaps you're lonely because uh, y- your spouse passed away, a close friend passed away, a parent passed away, or, or a divorce has happened in your life and you feel lonely, I want you to know there's an incredible resource out there for you. It's called Grief Share. We have Grief Share groups at Grace where people encourage one another. You can actually find out everything about Grief Share, plus get a ton of resources to help coach you through this loss by just going to Google and typing Grief Share. It'll pull up their website with all of their excellent resources and get you plugged into a group here in the community where you and other people dealing with loss can encourage one another and find hope in the midst of your loneliness. You've got to be willing to bring it out in the light. You're going to hear me say that every single sermon of this series, so get used to it. The basic idea when you think about mental health for a Christian, whatever you're dealing with, it will never, ever get better if it's left in the closet. It's like a plant. You want a plant to grow? You can't put it in a closet and shut the door. It can't grow that way. You've got to bring it out in the light. Whatever you're dealing with, loneliness, depression, anxiety, whatever it is, It will not get better until you talk about it. Got to be willing to admit it. That's step number one. Step number two to find hope in the midst of our loneliness, turn to scripture. That's probably not a surprise. You're at church preaching a sermon. I'm going to talk about turning to scripture. You should do that. So when you feel lonely, you should turn to this book. But it's important to acknowledge this book is not a magic wand that you wave over your sad feelings so they fly away. It doesn't work that way. The Bible is more like a foundation. And so you read and you study and you memorize this book so that you have a solid foundation to stand on when the waves of loneliness assail you. There is no promise in here that God never said, hey, read my book and I'll take the loneliness away. No, we live in a fallen world. We live in fallen bodies. We're going to deal with loneliness. This book doesn't make it go away. It gives you strength to endure when you're hit by loneliness. So you need to read this book and memorize this book, particularly passages that talk to you about the goodness and promises of God. 
Focus on those. That's what we see the great men and women of Scripture do. So Jeremiah, when he struggled with loneliness, he turned to things he knew about God's character. He says in Jeremiah 32, Sovereign Lord, you've made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Jeremiah is reminding himself the scriptural truth. God, you are enough. Father, you are enough. You are strong enough to support me even in the midst of my loneliness. You see the same thing in the book of Psalms. Psalm 73, whom have I in heaven but you? And beside you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. What you see in scripture is that when the great men and women of scripture struggled with things like loneliness, they turned to the promises and character of God. They reminded themselves and found strength in that. And I encourage you to do the same thing. You should read the Bible, but what's going to particularly help in moments of profound loneliness is to memorize scripture. Scripture that's been memorized and internalized can become your source of strength and help when things get really tough. So I'm not going to tell you what particular passage to memorize. These are good ones. You should find the one that's best for you. For me, in the course of my life, it's Psalm 23. When I feel lonely, when I feel depressed, when I feel discouraged, I just think about Psalm 23. For decades now, that's been my go-to passage. And so I'll just bow my head for a moment and think, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes it so I can lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for the sake of his reputation. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and loving kindness will chase after me every day of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So I I just say that to myself over and over and over again. It's not some kind of mindless chant. It's reminding me of who God is. And that gives me strength. It doesn't make the bad feelings go away, but it gives me strength to endure when they're there. So find a passage, memorize it, internalize it, and it will give you strength to stand when the loneliness and waves of life are hitting you. Third step to find hope in the midst of loneliness. Take this as an opportunity to improve yourself. What do I mean by that? Well, sometimes when we deal with loneliness, it's because of things we could not control. Maybe you're struggling with loneliness because you just moved to a new town and you don't know anybody. You couldn't do anything about that. Or maybe your spouse passed away. Of course you're going to feel lonely. But sometimes we struggle with loneliness because we're just not the nicest people to be around. All of us say things and do things from time to time that drive other people away. And, and so loneliness can be our motivation, our moment to improve ourselves, to grow ourselves. All of us struggle with antisocial tendencies that drive other people away. The Bible just calls that sin. All of us are sinners. The good news is Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead so we could have forgiveness if we simply believe in him. And and so belief brings forgiveness, but forgiveness doesn't take away consequences. And so if you keep saying and doing antisocial things, it's going to be hard to build friendships. So take moments or seasons of your life where you're dealing with loneliness to to seek to grow 
as a better friend, a better family member. Now, what in particular do you need to grow in? Well, the Bible is full of incredible lessons. I can't come close to covering them all this morning. I'll just point out two. When you're dealing with seasons of profound loneliness, what are a couple things you can work on? Well, one is you can learn to love yourself. And I know for some of you that's going to sound really hokey, but actually it's really well supported by both the Bible and research. Researchers concluded that the most promising line of treatment for loneliness is individual therapy that addresses the thought patterns and beliefs such as low self-esteem or shame that prevent a person from connecting with others. One of the things that people don't realize, you're never going to successfully love and relate to other people until you love yourself. Self-hatred, low self-esteem are going to prevent you from being a great friend, a great family member to other people. That's why I love that from the very first page of the Bible, God spent so much time telling you how worthwhile you are. That's like throughout the Bible, page one. Here is page one, literally, of your Bible. Genesis 1, verse 26. God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the cattle over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. What is God saying? You, you are made in my image to rule my creation. There's never been a higher job description than that. You are an image bearer designed to rule God's creation. Then you turn to the middle of your Bible, Psalm chapter 8. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Yet you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You are already crowned with glory and honor. You don't have to go out in the world and chase it. It's already yours. God already placed it on your head. Later in the book of Psalms, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. God wants you to know you are wonderfully made. You don't need to find your your wonder, your value through the things that the world values. This verse is true of you irrespective of your physical beauty or your wealth or your intelligence or your fame or your skills. None of that matters. The mere fact that you are human means that you are the most precious thing to God in all of creation. God wants you to know that. And so sometimes Christians get down on the concept of self-esteem. But you need to realize, actually, God is a huge fan of self-esteem. So long as it's found in the truths of his word. God wants you to know without doubt, you are the most precious thing in the entire universe. You have incredible value in his sight. You are infinitely loved. He is your father and he's glad about it. He wants you to know that about yourself so that you can then be free to love other people. You're never going to love other people well until you learn to love yourself. And so if if you look at yourself right now, you say, I don't like myself. I hate myself. Then God wants to work on that. Before he makes you into a person who's loving all these other people, he wants to make you into somebody who can love yourself like he loves you. And so if you really struggle with self-hatred, with low self-esteem, I want to challenge you to come talk to a pastor or talk to a counselor. Get in with a counselor and work on that. Why is it that you hate yourself? Unpack that and get down to the truths of how God sees you because he loves you. He wants you to love you too so you can be free to love others.
Okay, so take these moments of loneliness to work on your love for yourself. Learn to love yourself. That's fundamental to loving other people. A second practical thing that you can work on, learn to listen better. You've heard this verse many times, James 1.19. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. If you want more friends, that's how. It is truly as simple as that. You got to learn to listen more than you speak. It has been said God gave us two ears and one mouth, so use them in proportion. You got to learn to listen more than you speak. No one wants to hang out with the guy who always only talks about himself. I love how one researcher put it, because researchers are finding the truth of Scripture all the time. One researcher concluded it this way, don't be interesting, be interested. What a countercultural concept. You want to be a great friend, a great family member, then be interested in other people. Quit worrying about being interesting. Focus on other people. Get to know them, ask them questions, and they will be drawn to you. Learn to listen better. That will help you become a better friend. Better family members. So use these seasons of loneliness to grow. Fourth and final step to finding hope in the midst of our loneliness is to keep initiating. It's ironic when you think about it. Loneliness in doses can actually be a gift. It can actually be a good thing. Loneliness can drive you closer to God. Loneliness can help you get to know yourself better. Loneliness can help develop new gifts and abilities and passion in you. But this, this one is one that I, th- I think maybe we don't think about often. Loneliness also can drive you to initiate with other people. And, and I, I think it's ironic. God made loneliness painful. Why did he do that? Why does loneliness have to sting? Because God knows it's hard to make friends, especially as we get older in life. For a lot of us, like me, we reach middle age, and the thought of going and making new friends is completely unappealing. I'd really just rather sit on my couch and watch Netflix. So God allowed loneliness to sting. That pain motivates me to get off the couch and keep pursuing other people. Why? Because God knows I cannot live a healthy life alone. I need relationships. And so he allows that that loneliness to hurt so that it pushes us out to do the hard work of pursuing other people. So when loneliness assails you, use that as motivation to get up off the couch and to keep pursuing other people. Now, what if those other people don't respond? What if you're the mom who every time you pick up the kids, you try to strike up small talk and nothing comes of it? Or you're the friend who's always inviting everyone else to go out and no one ever reciprocates. What do you do in the midst of that? My challenge for you is to keep initiating. I know it's hard. I know you want to give up. But you need to understand, when people give up, things go bad. So many people in this world, because they felt rejected, they have given up on trying to initiate and have instead embraced cheap substitutes. So for some people, that's going to be social media, which is not in and of itself a bad thing, but it can never replace face-to-face relationships. For other people, the pain of loneliness forces them towards hookup culture. Well, maybe I can at least have the comfort of sex. No, even non-Christian researchers are finding hookup culture leaves you emptier than before. Other people just try to dull the pain with with TV, with alcohol, with pornography, with whatever they can find. That never works. You might feel better for a moment, but afterwards it's going to be even worse. You got to understand there are no substitutes for genuine human relationships. Why? Because God designed you as a social animal. You, You must have relationships to be a healthy human being. You were not created to be absolutely alone. When Adam was alone, God said it is not good. It's not good for you either. 
So keep initiating, keep pursuing those relationships with other people, even when you feel rejected, even when you feel shut down. Keep reaching out. You can do that here at church. Serve. Find some place to serve and you'll meet new people. Serve in the community. We talked earlier about SOS Ministries. Go join that. Serve in some way in the community. You'll meet new people. Pick up a new hobby that you can do with other people. Join a small group. Click connect on our website. You'll find all the options. Keep pursuing others. Now, as the men go back to prepare communion, let me talk for a moment about what you're going to do on your darkest days. Okay, so what if you just keep initiating and yet day after day you feel like no one on earth wants to be your friend? You feel like you are utterly alone and have been rejected by everyone. What are you going to do on that day? I'm going to give you two truths to comfort you. Truth number one, I want you to know that when you keep initiating with other people, even if they do not respond, you have pleased God. You need to understand, we believe in a God who initiates Our God always takes the first step, regardless of how human beings respond. And so when you take that first step and initiate with someone, even if they don't reciprocate at all, you have still honored God because you acted like God. And whenever you act like God, you honor him. It tells us in 1 John 4, 10, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Our God took the first step when we were his enemies, And so when you reach out and pursue someone, even if they never return the favor, you have pleased God. You can take comfort in that. You did a good thing. Second truth to take comfort in on your darkest days of loneliness, Jesus completely understands rejection. Jesus wants you to know that he understands the pain of rejection firsthand. You see, he died for billions of people who spend their entire lives telling him, No, thanks, I'm not interested. And really, can you imagine rejection? You die for someone and they're not interested in being your friend? Jesus understands rejection better than any of us. And so he is not a God up there who simply speaks from on high. He is a God here with us. Jesus took on human flesh to experience not the best of human life, but the worst. To experience Pain and poverty and suffering and loneliness and abandonment and rejection and death. And so when you look to Jesus, you're not just looking to a God up on high. You're looking to a Savior who knows and understands your pain firsthand. He understands it completely and is with you in the midst of it. And that's the truth that we're going to celebrate in communion. Communion is our opportunity to remember not only the death of Jesus, but also that he came and experienced the full breadth of pain of human existence. Not just Jesus dying on the cross, it's him suffering. It's him worn out. It's him in pain. It's him lonely. It's him experiencing loss. He chose to experience all the worst of human life, and he did it out of love for us. He did it so that we could be saved from sin and gifted eternal life. And so as the men come forward, I'm going to ask that you take these next couple minutes just to say thank you to Jesus for choosing to experience all the worst this life had to offer for you. I want you to thank him that he is not only your savior, but he is your friend and companion through even the darkest days of this life.
Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way he took the cup also after supper saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, this morning we remember that not only did you die for us, but you lived for us. You lived a life of struggle, of pain, of loneliness, of disappointment. You experienced loneliness not because you had to, but because you chose to. And because of that, not only are you our God and our Savior, but you are also our friend and our comforter who knows firsthand all of the struggles of this life and who walks with us through them. We praise you and thank you, Lord Jesus, for your compassion. We thank you that you are a high priest who understands. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would so captivate us with gratefulness for you that as we go out from here, you would help us to bring your hope, your joy, your light to other people. We pray, Lord, for anyone here among us that is struggling with loneliness this morning. We pray, Lord Jesus, that they might sense your presence, your empathy, your understanding, that they might find comfort and help in you. We pray for all of us who have found comfort and hope in you, that we would be a light of encouragement to those around us this week. Help us to love others well. Help us to be a friend to the friendless, to care about those who you care about. We thank you so much that you created us in your image, that you see us as worthwhile, that you care about us. You are so good. We thank you, Lord Jesus, in your name. Now, if you'll stand, let's continue in worship.